Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Hi, welcome into this Tuesday, June 6th edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. As we move further away from the conclusion of the 2023 ECU baseball season, we'll be talking more and more pirate football as we turn the page to the upcoming fall. We'll do that today. We'll continue on with our opponent previews. We're going to talk about the Marshall Thundering Herd, which, of course, will be the second game on the 2023 schedule. We previewed Michigan a few weeks ago. We'll talk to Luke Creasy from the Herald-Dispatch in Huntington. West Virginia get an in-depth look at the Marshall Thunder and Herd here shortly. We're also going to have a special segment. Philip Pelkin then joins us in studio where we preview and really rank the 12 opponents on ECU schedule, which we're going to do here shortly. Uh, Philip, have you have you completed your homework assignment? It was short notice, by the way, so uh, no no pressure or anything. I did complete it. I'm going to say I, I didn't have as much time to look at transfers and things like that as I would probably want to, but I, I do complete. I did complete it. I've got my uh, my 12 guys or 12 teams listed here. Yeah, we're going to go through that and basically rank them from easiest to hardest, which we'll do here in a second. I do want to, uh, a few programming notes. Okay, first off. So, of course, we started this show on May 1st, and for the most part, it's, you know, obviously it's a daily show, 12 to 1 daily. It's going to be pretty much year-round, but in the summer when ECU sports basically comes to a halt, which it has with the conclusion of the baseball season, we are going to take a break. So we, we've decided we're going to run the show through not only this week but next week, continue to bring you great interviews, content, and then at the conclusion of next Friday, that will be our last show for the summer we will be back in early August for the football season, and we may have a few pop-up shows here or there for special events throughout uh, late June and July. We're still kind of working on that. But, uh, you know, we've been able to do really kind of a, a almost a trial run of shorts to see what is good as far as the show, what works, what doesn't, what we want to change, tweak. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've gotten a ton of great feedback, a ton of great interaction. Of course, we'll still have coverage for you. Uh, daily on hoistacolors.net. I know Patrick Johnson with his show will continue on. I think his plan maybe go through the end of June, uh, maybe into July a little bit. They're still discussing that as well. So um, we'll continue to have coverage for you. But just wanted to update on, uh, update you on that. And Philip, it's been uh, it's been a fun fun month plus of kind of figuring things out. You know, I've never hosted a daily show before. I've had the podcast and I've had another radio program in the past, but. Um, I feel like we've we've done a solid job. I'm sure there are areas we can we can clean up, but uh, I feel like this thing's gotten also a good start, and you've done a great job as our, our co-host. Well, I appreciate you uh, saying that. I appreciate you having me on. It's it's been a lot of fun. I think uh, we've definitely developed some pretty good chemistry for uh, two guys who've only worked together for what is it five weeks now, and. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm looking forward to a little time off over the summer, maybe uh, go get a little bit of a tan at the beach, but I'm definitely looking forward to doing it next year and, uh, you know, finishing out these final two weeks here strong because we got a lot to talk about, especially with football. Football's my favorite sport, so I'm really looking forward to this. When we get to August, man, it's going to be popping. Uh, this this show, we already got a ton of great interaction with Twitter and YouTube, Facebook. By the way, if you're, if you're listening today, 
you got a comment or question, drop it. Uh, whether it's football, baseball, anything, we'll answer it. But I think as we get closer to football season, it's going to take off that much more. And, you know, thanks to Interbanks Media for supporting the show. Clark Willis doing a great job behind the scenes, producing it. The graphics all look awesome. Uh, Chris Cook been responsible for a lot of our graphics on social media as well to promote the show. So everybody plays a hand, and it's been a, a ton of fun to watch thus far. Uh, other programming notes, so tomorrow we will have former ECU offensive lineman Garrett McGinn, who just won an XFL championship with the Dallas, uh, I believe the Arlington Renegades is their name for the yeah. XFL. They just won a championship. Josh Hawkins was on his team as well, former Pirates. We'll talk to Garrett, who was one of my favorite interviews from his time at ECU tomorrow. Uh, we're also going to talk to former ECU receiver Keith Stokes on Friday. He was part of the teams in the uh, you know the late 90s, of course, with David Garrard, Steve Logan. We had them on earlier this month or early in May. And we'll have Keith Stokes on to catch up with him Friday, former great ECU return man. Also had a long stint in the CFL as well, so we'll catch up with Keith Stokes. And then next week we're going to have Shane Winkler, the head softball coach in Studio 2. Uh, we're looking at Tuesday right now. And then, of course, we're going to have more and more previews, reached out to a ton of writers for ECU football opponents, already trying to get the App State uh, publisher from App State Mania on the 24-7 Sports Network on the show as well. He may slot in Thursday, but we'll try and figure that out as we go forward. All right, Philip, you ready to do some uh, some opponent rankings? I am. This is going to be fun. I, I'm excited. I'm kind of getting chill bumps because it feels like football season's right around the corner now. There's no there's nothing like a good off season list, and I think that's what we're gonna we're gonna have as many off season lists as possible over this next week and a half as we uh, wrap up programming. For uh, for the month of June, I tell you, let's go from easiest to hardest, and we'll each give um, our answer one by one, and we'll kind of compare compare notes. I'm gonna I'm gonna assume we have the the easiest game being the same. I'll let you go first, and then I'll give my take. Uh, I got Michigan. Oh no, wait, my bad. R- wrong end of the list. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go on a limb and say we both have Gardner Webb for this one. Yep, Gardner Webb, the running Bulldogs. I have as the easiest game, and. Uh, I'm like you, Philip. I didn't do a ton of research for this, and, and look, that's the best part about off-season lists. Who really does a ton of research for something in June for a, uh, a September football game? Not that we didn't do our job, but I'm just saying, like, there's so much that can change between now and then. I will say this, Gardner-Webb, much better than the Gardner-Webb ECU saw in 2019. That was not a good football team. They won 48-10. to This team was in the FCS playoffs last year. They played three FBS games, Philip. They lost to Liberty by, I think, one point on the road. Uh, they also competed, I think it was App and one more. So this team, I have it as the easiest game, but I am not taking it for granted, and it kind of falls in a tricky part on the schedule, too. I would like this game to be the opener. Instead, it falls as the final non-conference game. Yeah, that is a little weird to get your your FCS opponent that late. But with you know, you mentioned how much better they've gotten. Maybe it's a good thing that they're not the first game because you would hate to do what you did in 2017 and in 2018 and fall to an FCS team. Not that I think that would happen if we played them the first game, but you know, East Carolina is really gonna have to figure out their identity this year. And that's going to take a couple weeks, so with that coming as Game 4, it's uh, maybe a little better than it coming as Game 1. 
So, yeah, just put up the schedule. Gardner-Webb last year, 7-6, and six, but 7-3 and three versus FCS teams. So here were their three FBS games, Philip. At Coastal Carolina, they lost 31-27. to 27. Pretty respectable score. Yeah, and team uh, made a ball at game. Marshall, yeah, good team. That was when I'm pretty sure uh, the uh, the quarterback was healthy, Grayson McCall. So yeah. uh, at Marshall on October 1st, 28-7. Again, not a bad score at all. And then Liberty on October 15th, 21-20, to they lost. I believe they gave up a late score. Yeah, Liberty scored in the fourth quarter. Go-ahead touchdown. So, again, I don't know what Gardner-Webb does and doesn't have coming back. Like, I know what I can tell you about every scholarship player on the ECU football roster at this point. You know, I haven't dove into these opponents a lot, but I do know that Gardner-Webb is a little – a little scary as a uh, FCS team if they're you know returning a lot. So again, three FBS games a year ago. They play App State on the road to open this year, so that'll be a good barometer, you know, kind of for two ECU opponents. All right, let's continue on with our list, Philip. I have, and this was I kind of had three three teams grouped here, and I don't know about you, but I factored in like road and home, like those being a factor because you know we're ranking the opponents but really you're almost ranking the games because to me a game on the road is a little tougher you know versus a game at home i have tulsa and the golden hurricane as my second easiest game i debated this one with two other teams which we can get into uh but who did you have next on the list you know, it's interesting. I kind of do have a group of three here. I'm sure we'll probably have the same three teams. But I had Charlotte at number two, and the reason I chose to put them over Tulsa is uh, Biff Poggy has never been a head coach, uh, unlike the new coach at Tulsa, Kevin Wilson. And uh, Charlotte only won three games a year ago. I saw them play once in person, and they were abysmal. And that game's at home. So, yeah, I don't know. I went Charlotte. Charlotte's a fair a fair answer. They were another team I debated. I just have a feeling from what I've heard with Biff Pogey and uh and you know, kind of just everything he's doing there. They they may be a disaster. They may be, but they have taken a ton of transfers and almost kind of rebuilt the team this offseason. So like the only reason I have them a little higher than Tulsa right now is uh for that reason, because of the unknown. But again, there's a chance they're just not good. But uh, I think either one of those is fair. Either one of those <clears throat> is a home game. So that's why I have Tulsa second, and that's why you have Charlotte second easiest. Uh, all right, let's continue with our list. I'll let you go with your uh, your third easiest game on the schedule. I mean, for the same reason you had them at number two, I have Tulsa sitting at number three. The Tulsa Golden Hurricane, number three on Phillips' list. I have I have a bit of a surprise here, maybe. It's uh, the easiest road game, in my opinion, at Rice. I have the Rice Owls. These were the three teams that kind of grouped together, Tulsa, Rice, and Charlotte. I don't know if you had any differences, Philip, but I have Rice. You know, the, I think it's Mike Bloomgren has been the head coach there a while. They've gotten slightly better in recent years, but I think this is a very winnable road game to open conference play. I know it'll be an empty stadium. Nobody cares about Rice football in the state of Texas, but uh, I have the Rice Owls as the third easiest game on the schedule. So you have Tulsa, right? Yeah, I have Tulsa. Three. Similarities there. All right. Uh, next up on my list is Charlotte for the reasons we just mentioned. Uh, a lot of newcomers there, a lot of transfers. We'll see how they are. 
And uh, who do you have rice or do you have somebody else? No, I have rice at four. I mean, yeah, I think our heads are kind of in the, going in the same direction here. It was kind of tough to rank these three, um, but I did have all the, you know, I kind of shuffled them around a few times. But, yeah, those are my two, three, and four. I got rice. They only won five games a year ago. Yes, yeah, so by some weird scenario, they made a bowl game despite only winning five games and being of a, power, a group of five conference. They went five and eight. But, yeah, I just I don't see much from rice that really scares me. This is a big year, you would think, for their coach. You know, if he doesn't have a winning record to get him to a bowl game. They went to a bowl game, but it was because they had, what, the highest a- a- APR score or whatever. So, yeah, or something weird. Um, yeah, and they ended up losing that. So, interesting situation there. All right, let's get through a couple more teams on our list. We'll make it to the halfway point, and then we'll break and get our guest on. All right, so next up, this is where it gets a little tough, uh, Philip. I think you get through these first four teams – Gardner-Webb, Tulsa-Rice, Charlotte, and then to me it gets a lot tougher. Like, I think those are the easiest games by far on your schedule. So, at number five, from easiest to hardest, I have at FAU, and I'm not – I don't feel great about it. I feel like FAU could be a lot better than we expect. But, again, first-year coach, Tom Herman, he's had success in the American. Maybe he surprises us. I know they're taking some transfers. It's a good recruiting ground. But I have the FAU Owls on the road as the fifth easiest game. How about you? Yeah, I'm kind of with you here. These next really three or even kind of four teams, I was I was a little skeptical on where to put them. But I put Navy. Uh, I know the Pirates have struggled against Navy in the past. I mean, in my time here, now six years, I've seen them go, I believe, one and three against the midshipmen. But with Ken Niamontololo leaving, I mean, he had been there longer than I had been alive, and that is not a figure of speech. He really had been there longer than I had been alive. And uh, to see him leave and just kind of, uncertain what the midshipmen have as well as the fact that the portal really hurts these service academies because people can recruit their kids unfortunately they cannot go out and recruit anyone else's kids yeah i I toyed with navy fau kind of in this group as well um you know i had navy a little higher up on my list just just for the reasons you mentioned just because like if you could take all things being equal if you could just look at navy versus fau I would have Navy as the worst team, but with ECU's history, I almost feel like it's like become a boogeyman situation. Like, can you beat Navy? Maybe can Niamato Lolo leaving changes things, but um, I had them a little higher. Uh, number six, I've got Marshall. I've got the Marshall Thundering Herd. They closed last year with a five-game winning streak. I really like Charles Huff. Again, this is where your schedule gets a lot tougher. Marshall by no means will be an easy game. We'll talk to Luke Creasy about why here in a bit. But I have Marshall number six. Who do you have as your sixth spot as we wrap up our our first half of this discussion? Yeah, this is a team who probably deserves to be farther down the list, but I think that the Pirates really do have a pretty tough schedule this year. I've got SMU there. Um yeah, this was it was so tough between Navy, SMU, Marshall, FAU for me. Uh, I just figured you know home game. We'll have figured out our identity by that point, hopefully, as that comes in mid-October. Uh, Thursday night game, Dowdy's always rocking for night games, so that's why I got SMU at six. That's a fair take, uh, SMU. I think if that game's in Dallas, it's much higher on both our lists. Uh, we'll get into uh, where I have the Mustangs and also where I have uh, Navy on the other side. We'll, we'll continue with that discussion later in the show. Let's talk about the Marshall Thunder and Herd on the other side. We'll be visited with Luke Creasy of the Herald Dispatch, who covers Marshall 
firsthand as we preview that game. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? All right, welcome back into this Tuesday, June 6th edition of Hoist the Colors. Of course, the Pirate baseball season came to an unfortunate end on Sunday night. With that, we recap the season on Monday. We've started to turn the page to the upcoming football season. It'll be here before you know it. We are starting our opponent preview breakdowns. We talked uh, Michigan a few weeks ago, the Pirates will open at Michigan. Then they will return home to take on the Marshall Thundering Herd. And to preview Marshall, we have Luke Creasy from the Herald Dispatch who covers the Thundering Herd in Huntington, West Virginia. Luke, welcome into the program. And and Charles Huff obviously having two good years, the head coach at Marshall already under his belt. Kind of from your perspective, what are the expectations going into year three for Coach Huff? Well, you know, I I really think that – you know, the expectations are pretty high after um, some of what they were able to accomplish last season. Um, obviously, coming into his first year, um, he, he took over a pretty good program that, that Doc Holliday had, had coached the year before. But um, a, a massive disappointment at the end of that 2020 year really set up uh, the, the scene for a coaching change. And, and Huff has come in and uh, really established um, you know, his identity and his culture within the program. I think you saw um, kind of what uh, the base foundation of that is, um, you know, w- with, you know, a- an early win, statement win at Notre Dame last year and, and kind of the success that um, carried them through. And, and that, uh, you know, re- relies a lot on their defense. And as long as that defense is solid, um, you-, you know, the-, the ceiling is pretty high for this team. Um, they were – uh, probably a couple plays away from playing in a Sunbelt title game in their first year in the league and um, really uh, have added uh, quite a few pieces um, back from uh, the production that they lost from a year ago. Um, that defense is looking pretty solid again. And, um, you know, so I, I think they have the uh, the belief that, that they can go compete for a Sunbelt title. Um, you know, obviously that, uh, that league is, is not easy. Um, there's several, uh, teams that, that could compete for that, but Marshall figures to be right in the mix. And, um, you know, they believe they've got the talent to do it. And, you know, I, I don't uh, disagree with them on a lot of fronts. You know, the, the offense, uh, coming back, um, you know, they've got, uh, you know, they kind of figured out some answers, um, worth through most of last year without Rasheen Ali. Uh, which is their their primary back and, and a big difference maker on the offensive side of the ball, and then kind of muddled through last year without him on the offensive side. But I'm um, still winning a lot of ball games, even the five that or four that they lost. Um, so I, I think that this is a group that uh, is very talented and uh, very eager to get back out there. We're visiting with Luke Creasy, who covers Marshall for the Herald Dispatch. Yeah, I was just looking over the scores from last year. Luke, and a ton of scores in the 20s, really, on both sides. You know, it's not like their offense, like you mentioned, was, was kind of lighting the world on fire. They were struggling a little bit. And, you know, Charles Huff, kind of an offensive coach traditionally. I know he was a running backs coach, of course, at Alabama before getting the job. Yeah. Has it been a surprise how good the, the defense has been through his first two years in, in Huntington? I, I, th- I think uh, for those that have followed the Marshall program, um, defense has kind of been um, a staple. And, you know, and the offense has, has kind of followed behind that. Um, you, you know, I, I think after you look at 
you know, winning the conference in 2014 where, where they were putting up something like 40 points a game. Obviously those teams, um, are like kind of in the middle of Doc Holliday's coaching tenure were very offensive heavy. And, and you almost had to put up 35, 40 points a game to win some of those ball games. Um, but, but that, that tide kind of turned, um, you know, in the, in the 20, gosh, I want to say probably 2018, 2019 range. Um, you know, the, the defense, I mean, uh, kind of the identity of this program. And, um, you know, Chuck Heater, uh, former defensive coordinator who left Marshall from Maryland a, a couple seasons ago, had a lot to do with that. And then Lance Guidry coming up from the FCS level. Um, he had been a head coach at McNeese State, takes the defensive coordinator position, which is kind of more his, uh, was his more natural realm, spent the last two years kind of creating that defensive identity. Um, and, you know, even when he left for Tulane um, and then ultimately went on to Miami, uh, Lance Gidry, the former de- defensive coordinator, they hired a guy who, who kind of comes from the same uh, background as Gidry and, and Jason Seymour. And so I don't expect that defensive identity to change much and, um, it, it's a fun brand of defense to watch. They, they tend to, to let guys um, have a little bit of freedom. You know, obviously, they've got some base defenses and, and some defensive sets that they like to, to get into and run um, you know, for, for a runner-pass situation. But uh, for the most part, they're relying on their guys' athleticism um, to make plays, and I think that's a, a big part of, of why the, the production has been there um, is because they're getting the most out of their guys because guys enjoy playing in that system. So. Um, you know, it, it, it's been fun to watch and it's probably been needed because they, um, you know, the last few years have been uh, a struggle at quarterback for the Thundering Herd. Um, when you look at, uh, Grant Wells, um, he spent two years as the starter, then transferred to Virginia Tech. Last year, they brought in, uh, Texas Tech transfer Henry Columbia, um, and he played for, uh, six games, appeared in seven, had started six of those, but um, ended up landing on Cam Fancher, who was kind of the uh, the dark horse the entire time um, under both of those guys, Grant Wells and Henry Columbia. And, you know, uh, that, that offense uh, has struggled at times, um, made some strides at the end of last year once they got Rasheen Ali back, but they have needed that defensive production um, to be as successful as they have. We're visiting with Luke Creasy, who covers Marshall. Of course, ECU will take on Marshall on September 9th inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. We'll talk about that rivalry here in a little bit, Luke. But when you look at the quarterback situation uh, and, and everything they kind of went through last year, is it you know is there a proven starter on paper now, or is it still an open competition? What is the plan going into the fall for the Thundering Herd at quarterback? Yeah, obviously, um, Henry Columbia, uh, graduate or had expired eligibility last year was the sixth season, um, of college football. So, um, he's out of the picture. Um, Cam Fincher, I, I think, um, you know, I, I've done several, uh, of these interviews that, that are, are trying to preview the season. And every time I say that, I think that, um, Cam Fincher is the favorite to, to win the position, um, coming into the year. Um, there's obviously some youth, um, still in the quarterback room behind him. Um, namely guys like, uh, Cole Pennington, um, who has, you know, ran the scout team, um, offense last year. Um, there's Chase Harrison, 
who's in the mix as well. And then they brought in a transfer from Rice, uh, T.J. McMahon, um, a kid who has a lot of experience uh, playing at the Division One level. And so I, I think that probably threw a wrench into things as far as fan expectation goes when you bring in a guy that has the experience that, that T.J. McMahon does um, coming from Rice um, and having played a couple years uh, of, of really foundational, foundationally solid football. Um, there for the Owls. And when you bring him in, I think that created a little bit of question. Um, you know, obviously the team got back to summer practice um, last week, and uh, we've seen just a little bit of uh, of everybody. And I think um, Huff probably won't make a decision on that until late in the um, late into fall camp, uh, which is kind of the same way he approached it last year. Um, really wants to give those guys time to compete, but I think Fancher. Um, you know, uh, assuming that, that he's healthy and, um, you know, and capable probably has to be the front runner after what, what he's able to accomplish with the offense last year. They won, um, the last five games, um, won six of the seven that he started. Um, you know, there was, uh, some injury to Henry Columbia that kind of, forced him into the starting spot. I think he made his first start down at James Madison um, and uh, really had success from there on out. You know, the one game they lost was the week after that, the 24-21 loss to Coastal Carolina, um, in which they gave up 21 points in the first quarter. Um, three, the the, the Clears first three drives all ended in touchdowns, and then they only gave up a field goal after that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think he's probably got the, the most head knowledge of the offense, um, you know, and he's working with the same offensive coordinator um, in Clint Trickett that Marshall had last year. Um, so I, I think he's got to be the front runner. Um, but that's not, not to say there's not competition behind him that's going to give him a, a, a slight push. Um, and I think that's healthy in any quarterback room. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly the way they dealt with it last year was, uh, was different. You know, I think when you br- bring in a, a guy who's played and started for five years, um, or, or had several starts in five years, you, you kind of assumed that, that he was the automatic, uh, in for, for the quarterback, um, starting position. And that ended up not being the case because even Sam Fancher, even though he didn't start all 13 games, um, he appeared in every single game Marshall played last year. So there was kind of this undertone of, um, you know, maybe they thought Fancher was the guy last year, but didn't want to throw him into, uh, you know, throw him into the fire where he was, um, you know, really high after a win over Norfolk State. And then, you know, then you go to Notre Dame the next week and you never know what to expect, um, out of a young guy. So I, I think, you know, having that experience, um, you know, you always talk about or hear people talk about the jump that quarterbacks make from year one to year two. And I think that's going to be important for, for Fancher to have an entire um, offseason um, under his belt after playing um, the majority of the season before. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of growth potential for him. And if he can stick with the um, the trend of improving, and um, you know, there's no reason he shouldn't be uh, you know, the starter week one. Luke Creasy with us. We're previewing the Marshall Thundering Herd. Of course, they will travel to Greenville on September 9th inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. And what will really be a huge game for both teams, East Carolina opens at Michigan. You know, they're decided underdogs there. Marshall opens against Albany. They're 
be big favorites there. So I think it's a, a pivotal yeah. swing game for both teams early in the season. And, uh, Luke, obviously these two teams have a history together. We can talk more about that. But the last time they met was another, you know, <laughs> depending on what side you're on, if you're a Marshall fan, you look at it as a miserable uh, finish. ECU fans, really, it was the turning point of the Mike Houston era. They erased a, a huge deficit in the fourth quarter. Uh, coming back with 21 unanswered to win in Huntington, 42-38 to on September 18th, 2021. I know uh, Charles Huff was very frustrated after that game. Um, what, what do you kind of expect when these two teams meet on September 9th? Do you think Marshall will kind of use that as a rallying cry for some revenge, or what's kind of your take on this matchup? You know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, historically this has just been a fun matchup for fans. I think sometimes um, – you know, especially in today's realm of college football, the majority of this roster didn't play in that game. Um, you know, let's be honest with the way the transfer portal is, and yeah. um, you know, as far as you know, the the, uh, the veterans that were on that Marshall team, and you combine what you lost to graduation versus what you lost in the transfer portal, and I think this is a completely new ball game. Um, and, you know, of, of course there's some history, uh, between these two teams, a lot of history, a lot of good history. Um, and I, I think that fans are excited to see, um, you know, this matchup back on the schedule. Um, and, you know, as, as they were in 2021, uh, which was, you know, of course Huff's first year. I think he had won his first two games, um, at, uh, in, in his Marshall career, you know, he had the, had the win against Navy, had the win in the home opener, and then, you know, of course, that loss to ECU. And you mentioned that was kind of a turning point for, um, you know, for the Pirates, but that was also a, a kind of a um, turning point for Marshall as well, because I'm pretty sure they lost their next three games uh, and four of their next five, um, and you know, kind of rallied late in that season to come back and, and win. They finished with a um, you know, six and six record went to a bowl game, um, or a seven and five record. Sorry, went to a bowl game, finished seven and six on the season. Um, but uh, you know, this it, is a fun matchup. I think um, you know, ECU is, is definitely going to um, challenge Marshall a little bit more than Albany does uh, that opening week, and I think that's um, you know something you want. Uh, but you know, I, I look at the, the way that this schedule sets up compared to last year. And you talk about, you know, difference in opponent going from, you know, they opened with Norfolk State and then went right to play Notre Dame. And, you know, after a 55-3 to win, you know, against uh, you know, Norfolk State, you're thinking, okay, like, is this team good enough to compete when they go to South Bend? Um, and, and they proved that they were. And so I, I think, you know, momentum has a lot to do with uh, might play into a factor of, you know, uh, feelings going into the game, you know, you know, how does the ECU fare against Michigan? Um, you know, I, it, that's clearly a tougher game than, than Marshall's going to open with. So, um, I, I think you'll have two teams that, that, that are eager to, to kind of show what they can do, um, uh, when the competition kind of levels out as far as opponents go. So, um, that ought to be really an exciting matchup. I'm excited to get down there. It'll be my first trip to, uh, to Greenville, um, and uh, just really looking forward to um, you know to seeing uh, that that rivalry renewed, 
Um, again, like I said, I think it's been good to have back on the schedule, and it's, it should be should, should be a fun time. No doubt, it'll be the first time Marshall has visited Greenville in about ten years, so uh, will be fun to, to welcome the Thunder and her back. Last thing for you, Luke, we'll let you go. Marshall, of course, just competed for the first season in the Sun Belt in 2022, moving over from Conference USA. And, you know, there's a lot of ECU yeah. fans who say, you know, should the Pirates move into the Sun Belt one day, given kind of the geography, uh, or geography of the conference, yeah. there will be more regional matchups. And right now I think the American, too lucrative financially, but maybe down the line. Just How much does Marshall maybe enjoy – the early returns of playing a Sun Belt schedule where you do have some more regional rivalries and, you know, some more common commonalities between the opponents versus playing a bunch yeah. of teams in Texas and across the country. Yeah, I think it's huge. Um, and, you know, I think you started to see um, the value of that. Now, and it didn't necessarily show in attendance numbers, um, you know, for Marshall uh, throughout the season last year, but, but I think of a rivalry like App State. Um, who, you know, Marshall, you know, that goes back to the Southern Conference days. Same thing with Georgia Southern. Um, I mean, these, these teams historically, um, you know, have some, have some beef, have some battles, uh, between them. And, um, you know, so I think that's fun to reintroduce to Marshall, um, and to the fan base. I, I think that's probably more for the, the, the fan base versus, you know, the team. And obviously it's easier to travel to some of these destinations. Um, you know, with the proximity of, you know, places like Boone, um, you know, obviously Coastal Carolina is not too far of a drive away. Um, I think some of the coaches, including Charles Huff, joked last year that, uh, that's kind of Huntington South. Um, you know, because a lot of people from Huntington, you know, vacation in Myrtle Beach in that area. Um, so, you know, you're reintroducing areas that people are familiar with. Name. Of schools that people are familiar with, and I think that's just a good place to be. Um, you know, App State and Marshall has more of a draw than uh, Rice and Marshall did. Um, you know, the closest thing to to a rivalry that developed for Marshall was Western Kentucky. Um, you know, of course, they had spent time in the Sun Belt too. So you're looking at that geographical footprint, and you're, and you're starting to see like, okay, like regional rivalries work. And um, you know, I, I think. You know, down the line, should the Sun Belt grow in popularity and bring in a little bit more money? Um, you know, I think that's probably a viable option. You know, when you look at conference realignment and, you know, you certainly don't, you know, if you're ECU, you don't want to take a step back from, from where you are. Um, you know, I think, I don't think any school in America would want to take a step back. Um, you know, from, from where they're going. But uh, certainly the, the regional footprint um, for the Sun Belt is fun. Um, you know, it's got the nickname the Fun Belt for a reason. Um, you know, and those re- regional rivalries have a lot to do with it. And, um, you know, certainly uh, get fans more engaged and, um, you know, a, a lot more fun to watch when, you know, you know, the fans have skin in the game and, and there's some history between the teams. He is Luke Creasy from the Herald-Dispatch. Couldn't agree more. It'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds in the years ahead, Luke, but excited about this this fall's matchup. And, hey, uh, appreciate the time, man. Great stuff as far as uh, information on the Thunder and Herd. I'm sure we'll be uh, talking to each other, you know, in in person yeah. on September 9th, but also uh, talking before then, man. I appreciate it. All right, no problem, man. See you down there. That is Luke Creasy from the Herald-Dispatch, and we'll – 
have more, maybe check in with, again with Luke uh, as we get closer to September, maybe on game week down the line. All right, let's get our uh, second break in. On the other side, Philip Pilkington and I will continue our opponent schedule ranking in terms of easiest to hardest. We're running down the ECU 12 opponents for the upcoming football season. We're ranking in from uh, easiest to hardest in terms of difficulty. We'll continue that on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back into this Tuesday, June 6th edition of the show. Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Just had an awesome chat with Luke Creasy, previewing the Marshall Thundering Herd. Next up on our list is App State. We'll do that either later this week or early next week. Philip Pilkington rejoins us, and Philip, I gotta ask, did the conversation with Luke did that make you want to reevaluate where you have Marshall on your list? Uh, I've got him actually decently high on my list, so no, I think not, because I think every team I have is, is clearly better than them. Obviously, he's gonna be a little biased towards them, uh, you know. But I, I think I got him in a good spot. Um, obviously, we're not 100 percent sure what the quarterback situation is, but I like the job that Francher did last year. I mean, he was a three-star recruit coming out of high school, so um, he's a redshirt sophomore, pro-style quarterback, can run really well. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I still think I've got him at eight, which I guess I shouldn't be given you know, too much in advance before we do this list. But, spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. Got him at eight. So, uh, you know, the teams that I have past them, I think, are just are just too far ahead of them to, to want to move them. How about you? So I have them at uh, a six. So we went through the first six. Yeah. Uh, let's rerun it for those who are just joining us. So uh, my easiest to hardest, I have Gardner-Webb, Tulsa, Rice, Charlotte, FAU, and Marshall. And I think if the Marshall game was on the road, Philip, I would have Marshall way higher. Um, I, I, you know, I think Marshall historically has – I don't think they've beaten ECU at home in, in a long time, maybe – Several years. Um, that's why I have it at six as opposed to higher. Let's run over your six. Yeah, so right now I have uh, Gardner-Webb, Charlotte, Tulsa, Rice, Navy, and SMU as my top six. Okay, let's continue with our list since we're getting a little low on time. So got to get another break in. All right, so uh, seven on my list. Again, this is easiest to hardest. Uh, you have Navy a lot uh, higher on your list in terms of easy. I have Navy at seven. And, again, this is because Navy – like I don't think Navy is as good of a football team as Marshall and probably even FAU, but this is the Navy boogeyman coming out of Steve and I go. Uh, every time I go to sleep at night, I see uh, the, the ghost of Navy pass running fullback <laughs> dives up the gut for 70 yards, and, uh, you know, I just I can't sleep. So I have Navy higher on the list maybe than, than most would. Who do you have at seven? I have FAU. It, I – viewed FAU and SMU equally, and I just put SMU at 6 and, and FAU at 7 solely because SMU is at home and FAU is on the road. I didn't really know what to do with either one of these teams. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and I think FAU is one of the toughest teams to predict on the whole the yeah. whole opponent schedule. Uh, eight, for me, I've got at Appalachian State, and this is – I don't think this App State team is great. I think, honestly, they've been trending downward in recent years. But this is going to be a very tough environment, and this is similar to like if this game was at home, I wouldn't have it at as high. 
Uh, they beat ECU soundly in 2021, and I think going to Boone, they're going to be fired up for East Carolina, heading to uh, heading to the mountain or up the mountain, whatever they say. Uh, so, where do you uh, do you have you have Marshall here, right? You have Marshall here, and I think a lot of the reason I have Marshall this high is because of the fact too that it's so early in the season, and I'm really not sure the identity of this Pirates team, and I don't think they're sure. And you know, if Michigan doesn't go well, if they go out and lose by three touchdowns. I'm really worried about kind of a hangover going into the Marshall game. So I think the placement on the schedule is part of the reason I have them as high as, as, high as I do. That's fair. You definitely don't want to go to Michigan and get beat up uh, and then turn around and try to have to play what's, what's going to be a very pivotal game. Um, all right, number nine, then we'll get our, our final break in to do our final three. Uh, number nine on my list, I've got the SMU Mustangs. I, I think SMU is going to be extremely talented this year. They brought in a ton of transfers because they're – they're rolling in NIL money. They they cheated for years. Now they can do it legally. Uh, they're bringing in a ton of transfers. I'm just not sold on Rhett Lashley as a coach. Uh, we'll see long term. And also, this is a home game for ECU on a Thursday night. SMU historically not a great road team. So I think SMU is arguably the second or third most talented team ECU will play, but I have them at number eight for this reason. Or at number nine, excuse me. Yeah, so obviously I already had SMU. I did not do as much research on the transfers as you did, unfortunately. At nine, I have uh, Meet Meet. I got UTSA at nine. Uh, this team is 30-10 and 10 under Jeff Taylor, and they're returning one of their two uh, main running backs from a year ago. They were 11-3. and three. I think they're a very tough team. I think it's going to be a tough game for the Pirates. Yeah, that's going to be a tough game. I have them. Obviously higher, which we'll get into on the other side. Let's all right. Let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll give our final three of the opponent's schedule ranking on this edition of Hoist the Colors on ninety four three. The game. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Back to the show with Steve and I go on ninety four three. The game. All right, welcome back into the show. We are wrapping up this Tuesday, June 6th edition of Voice the Colors on 94.3. The game, we've had a fun show. Luke Creasy gave us an in-depth report on what to expect from Marshall. We are now running down and finishing up our list of the opponents on ECU's 2023 football schedule. We've ran down our top nine in terms of easiest to hardest. And we're going to finish it out with our final three. Quick, we'll do a final rundown, and then we'll do the, the, the last three. Philip, uh, from easiest to hardest, I've got Gardner-Webb, Tulsa at Rice, Charlotte at FAU, Marshall at Navy, at App, and then SMU is my ninth. Uh, I guess ninth easiest game would be the best way to put it, but uh, definitely one of the most hardest. Uh, and your, your top nine? Yeah, I've got Gardner-Webb, Charlotte, Tulsa, Rice, Navy, SMU, FAU, Marshall, and UTSA. All right, let's do our final three. Uh, the third most toughest – gosh, what am I trying to say? The third toughest – I've got <laughs> Tulane as the tenth easiest game on the schedule. That's the better way to put it. Um, I'm not sold on Tulane being like this juggernaut every every now – every year now just because they won one good season, one good bowl game. So I'm very curious to see what they do this year. They lost some key pieces. I know they have Pratt back at quarterback. Willie Fritz is a heck of a coach. 
But interested to see, Philip, if Tulane is is anywhere near as good as they were last year. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be as good. I have them at number 10 as well. But, you know, this is Pratt's going to be his fourth year as a starting quarterback. Yes, that second year did not go as planned, but he was playing with a bum shoulder. And when he's healthy, this offense rolls. I have them at number 10 as well. They did lose some key defensive personnel, um, which, you know, that was their calling card last year, but the offense was still really good. Also lost Tajay Spears, so... You know, Willie Fritz is a great coach, so they're always going to be one of the toughest games on the schedule regardless. We'll see what happens. Uh, number 11 for me, I've got UTSA. I've got the road trip to the Alamo Dome. They've finished the last two years in the top 25. Really good football team. Frank Harris, their quarterback returns. It's a tough place to play. It'll be the toughest road environment outside of the obvious. So I got UTSA at number 11. Yeah, I've got an app at 11. And not that I think that they are a better team than Tulane or UTSA. I'm just really worried this year about how long it is going to take East Carolina to find their identity. And going to a place like App, an in-state rival, we saw how poorly it went a few years ago when we played them at Bank of America. For some reason, I've just got this gut feeling this game is going to go abysmally for the Pirates. I don't know if that's a word, but I don't know why. Gut feeling, yeah, I just... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know who's going to start at quarterback. That's a discussion for another day. We don't have a lot of time. But I really don't even know who the starting quarterback's going to be. I don't think it's set in stone that it's Mason Garcia. I think everybody's still going to be trying to get their feet under him week three. Yeah, it's got a bad feeling about this one. And number one, I think we both have the same answer here. At Michigan, uh has to be number one. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have Michigan at one, what have you been watching over the last decade of college football? ECU a 36-and-a-half point favorite, I believe, is the, the line in Vegas. So, uh, you know, Michigan, clear favorite. They're going to be a national title contender. And so you look at the, the, the rankings, Philip. You have – so you have Marshall, App, and Michigan, what, all in the, the last – basically among the four or five toughest games on the schedule? Yeah, I do. And like I said, I think it's a lot of bias in there, the fact that I'm really worried about this team finding their identity. And it's fair because you look at all the new pieces, and that's kind of why you would like to have maybe Gardner-Webb earlier in the schedule because, let's be real, the the worst-case scenario is 0-3. Yeah. I think if you're 1-2 and after that three-game stretch, you're not feeling terrible. Uh, if you're 0-3, that's that can be kind of demoralizing. So it's going to be a big uh, – it's going to be a big first part of the schedule just to manage it and not get buried early. It is a manageable middle part of the schedule. Several of the teams we mentioned towards the easiest part of the uh, slates are, you know, were among our uh, easiest teams or more towards the middle part of the schedule. But that early part of the schedule will be tough. I agree. And, you know, the, really the thing is that you, we had the same four teams in our top four. Um, maybe not in the same order, but I think past Gardner-Webb, Charlotte, Tulsa, Rice, this is a tough schedule for East Carolina. It really it is. is. Now, the guy, the teams that came in the middle, as you mentioned, do come in the middle, but you know, teams like SMU, FAU, I mean, these are not give-me-football games, and this is going to have to be a grind of a season for East Carolina. Anybody that thinks the Pirates are facing a easy schedule just because they're back in the quote-unquote new or old Comp USA, uh, you look at this and then you can be more mistaken. So, Good, good, good stuff. Appreciate the uh, homework assignment, Philip, and we'll uh, we'll come up with something for later this week as well. Uh, thanks again to Luke Creasy from the Herald Dispatch. Tomorrow we'll talk with Garrett McGinn, former ECU lineman. This has been Hoist the Colors on 94.3 again.